From the TWU Local 591 Union Hall, it's the Local 591 Podcast with local president Gary Scheibel. Join Gary and his guests as they discuss topics that impact and affect the careers and lives of union members. Take it away, Gary. Thanks, Tommy, for the introduction, and welcome back to the TW Local 591 podcast. I want to give you kind of some updates of what's going on around the local. I have Russ Dittmer here to help me with this, so thanks for coming, Russ. Thanks for having me, Gary. I thought today we'd do something a little different and just kind of update what's been happening in the local. And I think what we should probably focus on first is, can you give us an update on the association arbitrations that are going on right now? Let's start with the attendance policy. All right, so the attendance policy that was initially heard back in September 2022, they had a follow-up in December 2022 where they closed out the case. The arbitration briefs were submitted in uh, early February. What a brief is, for those folks who aren't familiar with the process, it's kind of the old closing statements that we would do a lot of times live right there in front of the arbitrator. When the merger occurred, Americans started using a lot more attorneys. Attorneys are typically using arbitration briefs, so that's a lengthy closing statement. So those were submitted uh, back in February. I would expect a decision somewhat soon on the attendance policy, if not by the end of this month in April, probably sometime in May. But right now it's just waiting on the arbitrator to write it. Alrighty. Well, the next arbitration that we want to probably look at is the holiday paywall on injury on duty, military leave, unpaid FMLA, etc. Okay. So that case was actually heard the first week of February. That is a case that if those that aren't familiar, in order to get paid for a holiday, you do have to put in 80 hours in a month. There's a clause in there that says, for purposes of this paragraph, time spent on unpaid FMLA, military, and occupational injury leave shall count towards the 80-hour requirement. Somehow, American finds that, that, you know, even though it says what it says, it doesn't mean what it says, so... That was arbitrated, like I said, back in the first week of February. I would expect a decision probably sometime in the June, July timeframe. Alrighty, the next arbitration case that we're looking at is the immediately return to service. So you're probably going to need to explain what that is and then where it's at right now. Yeah, that's where aircraft maintenance, uh, the work is being uh, wrongfully outsourced to vendors and to other third-party outfits out there where the word says immediately. Immediately, according to American, does not mean immediately. So initially that was scheduled for the end of April to be arbitrated. American requested a uh, postponement on it. It's now scheduled for June 19th and 20th. Is it pretty typical for the postponement to be granted the first time around? Typically, yes. The last arbitration case that I can think of is the aircraft movement arbitration. That case, it was originally scheduled to go back for arbitration in the end of February. Instead, a clarification letter of agreement was worked out between the parties. It's now with the internationals, being the IM and TWU, for signing. And that letter is going to better define what work is required to be done by aircraft maintenance. Although I'll say this, that nothing prevents us from doing all the aircraft moves. All right. What about the numerous other grievance cases that are slated for arbitration? Well, Vice President Caruso, he's been requesting through the association channels for quite some time to get those cases arbitrated. I know there are many cases that are backed up that need arbitrators assigned to it. So that continues on. So that is a hot topic of ours to get these cases heard. Speaking of hot topics, how about maybe one that you're very familiar with, Russ, the seniority protests. I know you've kind of taken on this unsolved case. 
Yeah, a couple of years ago, Gary, the 2020 seniority protests after the JCBAs were ratified, those seniority protests kind of were hanging out there for a while. So I volunteered to basically organize them all and track them all and continue to pursue getting answers from the company and the association leadership on all of those 2020 seniority protests. One of the challenges, it seems, with a, I'm going to look back a little bit and explain what happened with the original Javits integrated seniority decision, as well as what happened in 2020. So the original Javits recommendation back in 2016 essentially came up with a plan to integrate all of the different seniority lists. After the recommendation was accepted by the parties, at that point in time, there was a notice to all the memberships that there was a window of opportunity if you felt there was something wrong with that original Javits integrated list in 2016 that you were able to then protest it. It would be reviewed by both arbitrator Javits as well as his law firm, and they would make the ruling specifically on whether or not to grant your protest. Now, after that window closed, we continued to live under basically the two different contracts until we got to the point of the joint collective bargaining agreement. At that point in time, we were for the first time all working under the same agreement, and there was now a specific article in the new JCBA covering all of us when it comes to seniority. Once that happened, one of the provisions in Arbitrator Javits' recommendation was that there is now another, there was in 2020, after the date of ratification, another protest window. But this seniority protest window is not like the ones we used to see in the old TWU world. This protest window is from when the original Javits protest window closed in early 2017 until the data ratification integrated seniority lists were published. That's the only seniority protests that were being considered in this 2020 group. Anything that happened prior to the Javits recommendation would not have even been considered. So just so I'm clear then, what you're speaking to with the Javits protest window, that wasn't really a contractual protest window, much like our old TWU protests that were pretty much ended with the joint collective bargaining agreement being ratified. Exactly. This protest window in 2020 was actually a product of the Javits recommendation. He indicated that once a JCBA was ratified at that moment in time, if there was any change from the original Javits protest window to the integrated seniority list after data ratification, that was what he was providing all of the members at that moment in time. So to kind of summarize, so he's looking at changes between the 2017 posted list and the 2020 posted list. Exactly. And you mentioned now that there's been the change with the contractual version. Can you expand upon that a little bit more? Sure. One of the other things that we in the TW used to realize and be able to do is anytime we saw a or felt there was a seniority issue, we could go back 10, 15, 20 years and still file a protest today. That no longer happens. In the new contract, you can only go back to the last protest period. So, for example, once the 2021 seniority protests are done, at that point in time between 2021 and 2022, when the 2022 was posted, that's what you're going to be able to protest. Nothing before 2021 will be a seniority protest moving forward. It's a big change from what we're used to in the TW world. So in essence, the annual seniority list, even though they post it nightly, it's based around the annual one posted in January. Correct. Even though the company updates the seniority list on a daily basis, the contract specifically provides for an official annual seniority posting happening at the end of January of every year. 
Once that annual seniority list is published, at that point in time, you would then have the opportunity to protest that seniority list as compared to the official seniority list that was posted a year previously. That's the gap. I know you mentioned you've been working on it. Do you have a time frame to when these protests would be given back to the members from 2020? While we're recording this, it's late April. I'm really hoping by mid-May, no later than the end of May, to have all of the answers in the members' hands from the 2020 protest. And at that point in time, then we'll be able to push the company and the association to get the 2021, 2022, and 2023s done because there's not nearly as many in those as there was in the original integrated list. Thank you for taking this on, Russ. I know it's uh, definitely been a hot topic for a lot of our folks out there, and thanks for the update on that. Absolutely. Seniority is a pretty emotional issue, and we're trying to find the solution and move forward on it. Now that we've looked at where many of the arbitrations are and where the seniority protests are, Gary, how about giving us some company updates? So on a kind of a good note, I can say that the safety program, something that we've been working on for quite some time, is headed to being much more robust if what's been discussed between the union and the company leadership comes to fruition. So Hopefully we'll see some uh, big improvements in safety, but that's still, you know, time will tell. Hopefully we can get there because we definitely need a more robust safety program at American Airlines. No doubt about that. So you've already said what's on a positive note, what's on the other side? Well, kind of the bad side is when I look at since the JCBA, we're definitely doing a lot more with fewer people. Overall, since the signing of the contract, obviously we dealt with a pandemic and an early out package, and that attracted thousands to retire, and good for them. You know, we're able to get something out of this company to retire. But when I look at our headcount numbers and I look at all of Tech Ops, every single group within there, and this is as of April 15th, as a whole, we're down 887 AMT jobs, and that's that's a lot. That's about 150 of them are actually on the line. Below Local 591 as a whole, we're, we're actually up five because DFW has been the biggest driver of increased mechanic jobs. And Tulsa, their loss of mechanic jobs that haven't been refilled since the early outs is at 678 mechanic jobs that they're down. So let me, moving over to say GSE and facilities, overall there's 202 less jobs than they were just three years ago. 77 of them are in GSE. 125 are in facilities, and the biggest losses are in Miami, DFW, and Tulsa, and GSE, and JFK, Chicago, and Tulsa, and facilities. Our local as a whole is down 43 positions between GSE and facilities. So realistically, you're not just looking at local 591. You're looking at the whole of our contract and what the gain and or loss of membership has been throughout the entire company. Correct. I look at that monthly and I give this information to our RVPs to argue for headcount at all their bid meetings to let them know really exactly where we're at. When you add those two together, 887 and 202, I mean, we're closing in on 1,100 loss of mechanic jobs in three years. Is there a bright spot to look at? MLS, our stores folks, it's a total gain of 217. Nearly all of that is at DFW. They have put in the Central Fulfillment Center, which is driving a lot of jobs. As a local, like I say, we're up 190 positions. The other one, MTS, we're up five positions as a whole. But overall, as a local, you know, we are are up 192 positions across all of our groups that we represent. However, you know, most of those numbers are very concentrated at certain stations and certain groups. So 
if it wasn't for a few stations, we would be down. So I mean, if you remove the AMT positions at in uh, Austin, Texas, DFW and JFK, we would be down 188 positions in line maintenance. And that holds true in other groups. So why I say we're doing more with less people is the story. And that's a troublesome story. There's no doubt about that. Hey, the other thing that's been coming up lately, obviously because of the profit and loss announcements that are happening, profit sharing 2023, what's going on with that? This one goes back to a year ago. American did approach the association and asked if we'd be willing to sign off on a letter of agreement that would eliminate the first quarter of 2022 from profit sharing. As a result of that, it took about $2 billion off the books of loss that would have pretty much put us at a wash for 2022 with the $2 billion roughly that they gained. So that letter of agreement went into effect and what they did was eliminate the first quarter of 2022. So that's January 1st to March 31st, 2022. And instead, in inserted January 1st to March 31st, 2023. So the first quarter of 2023. As a result, we will definitely be getting profit sharing. When we will know what we're going to get is after they announce the earnings for the first quarter of 2023. That right now is scheduled for April 27th. So we're doing this podcast just prior to that. So probably by the time you listen to this podcast, we should know what the percentage for profit sharing is. That said, for 2023 profit sharing that gets paid out next March 2024, this same first quarter of 2023 that we're waiting on and will get announced on April 27th is going to be used a second time. They are expected to make some profit, not a lot of profit for the first quarter this year, but it's definitely a long ways from a $2 billion loss to at least some kind of small profit that we're going to be utilizing. Well, I look forward to seeing that check regardless of how big it is. Next up, something that's really important to not only to the local, but is one of your uh, really primary focal points, and that's what's going on legislatively. Well, that's starting to heat up big time. So this is one that yourself, myself, a lot of the executive board members have spent a lot of time on lobbying for a bill. This would be H.R. 1716. That is the Global Aircraft Maintenance Safety Improvement Act. It's a bill that's going to level the playing field between domestic and foreign maintenance, primarily with regard to drug testing finally being conducted, background checks finally being conducted, certification standards being the same, unannounced FAA visits being allowed. It's also something that I've worked with our other two locals, Local 514 and 567, uh, Dale Danker, Raleigh Reeves. We've spoken to numerous congressmen, senators. You know, I was proud. Last month, it was finally introduced in the House. Like I said, it was H.R. 1716. It's introduced with tremendous bipartisan support, which is something you just don't see. No, it's a really, really good sign for us as a local being primary driver behind this bill. I know you were in Washington, D.C. last month speaking not only with Democrats. Historically, you know, everyone complains or says unions only want to talk to Democrats. Well, frankly, you proved them wrong last month. Yeah, so on the Senate side, all I spoke to was Republicans. We need their support. And when I look at this bill, well, a couple things. One, it's sponsored in the House by Marcus Molinari, who is a Republican out of New York State. It has 31 co-sponsors right now. If you take the sponsor and the co-sponsor, and there's 32 total, there's 16 that are Republican, 16 are Democrat. Can't get more bipartisan than that. No, and you, you just don't see that in today's politics. So it's really something that we've been working on trying to get folks to get on board because this bill is about as pro-american pro-us job pro-national security than you could possibly get not to mention pro-safety one thing i do want to speak to 
it's stunning when you speak to folks in Congress, and this is where I encourage our members to do also. One of the things I consistently heard was, well, when the plane comes back from Hong Kong, comes back from China, well, don't you guys do a full inspection on it? They were stunned when I said, well, no, it's been fully inspected by those folks over there, and it's coming back to go to revenue flying. There's this belief, you get the deer in the headlights look from Congress when you say that. No, we don't send it over there to get worked on, to bring it back here so we can go and do a full inspection. We wish that was the case. It would be a lot more ground time from the items that we usually do find, but that's not the case. So the goal, obviously, is to get the bill passed quickly in the House and Senate as a standalone bill and then have the president sign it, right? Why is that really important? Well, there's a couple things built in here. So one, in order to get it passed, we obviously need it introduced in the Senate. I do believe that is going to happen any day now if it hasn't happened before this podcast actually goes out. We want to get it through both the House and the Senate and then the president sign it to start the process of leveling the playing field. So other than getting the bill passed quickly in the House and Senate and the president signing it, let's look internally a little bit. What have you seen behind the scenes that really impressed you? Well, there's been a lot of work. I've spoken to this before as far as the bill itself, helping writing it. The local was involved with every step. There's some folks behind the scenes that are instrumental in getting this to where it's gotten. You know, the TWU International has a government affairs office that uh, Matt and Zach work out of the government affairs and have been there every single step of the way and deserve a lot of praise for getting us awfully close to getting this legislation passed. I often refer to this as a TWU bill because the verbiage on that bill was written in consultation with the TWU, with Zach or Matt. Personally, for me, I've been pushing this for, God, at least 15 years now. I can't wait to see the legislation pass because of what often seems like the government-sponsored incentivizing of jobs to leave the country will begin to end. You know, really, for me, I've seen nothing happening with the laws on the books already. Right. So we've had drug and alcohol testing for how long? We've had all of these background checks for how long? And they're not doing it in the foreign countries. True. So drug and alcohol testing has actually been on the books since 2012. I know this one personally because I've been arguing with the FAA and Congress for 11 years alone on this subject. And so if you look at this since 2012 and you look at our seniority list, not just our seniority list, but also adding in U.S. Airways because that merger happened right around the same time frame, you've combined those two. And since drug and alcohol testing has been on the books and the FAA was supposed to enact it, we've lost 5,000 AMT jobs off the seniority list alone, while the FAA hasn't refused to enact this one simple thing of having drug and alcohol testing for foreign mechanics. So when you look at drug and alcohol testing and it's not happening in foreign mechanics, what does that tell you? For me, it looks as if the FAA is okay with incentivizing the outsourcing of aircraft maintenance jobs out of our country. Oftentimes, some point to the wage differences as a key reason why a company like uh, American or Southwest or United Delta, any of these airlines, why they would want to take the jobs out of the country. I kind of look at it the bigger savings is by not dealing with those, as I would call it, pesky things. Making sure that your employees can pass a drug and alcohol test, making sure that your employees can pass background checks and have the same licensing and certification standards that our professional mechanics have here in the United States. And God forbid the FAA can actually do an unannounced visit without an appointment like they do every single day in one of our cities. So that's where I see the real savings for the airlines come in, not necessarily with the wages. Well, looking at this bill, it isn't the perfect bill. But what can you say about it to motivate and get our members behind it? Well, 
It's not my dream bill. My dream bill would be a complete moratorium on farm maintenance altogether, but I don't see any kind of bipartisan appetite for that. Our members do need to support this. When we start getting into a time frame of actually voting, we'll be sending out a lot of emails to get everybody on board to just contact your senators, contact your congressmen, congresswomen, and just let them know you want them to support this. Last time around, we saw quite a bit of support. I believe it was close to 375, 376 votes uh, in that ballpark from the House of Representatives. Well, there's 435, so that's a tremendous amount of support. But we did see where the support was lacking was around airports or near airline headquarters. So what I do see, and I think for the members to speak to or to their congressman or congresswoman or senator on, it's it's real simple. This is common sense legislation that makes a farm mechanic play in the same playing field as we do. In theory, it should lead to more maintenance and more jobs coming back to the United States. And like I said earlier, it's probably the most pro-worker, pro-United States, pro-American, whatever pro you want to be on and bipartisan bill that you're going to see. Excellent. Yeah, and it's uh, also definitely pro-U.S. security, internal security. Yes. One for you, Russ. Looking at your recent look back, you included a lot of really important information about ASAP and the need to call the coordinators back if they text or leave you a voicemail. Can you give us a little more detail what that all means? Sure. In Local 591, we have two primary ASAP coordinators, Harry Charalambas and Joe Absalon. When you submit an ASAP report, that doesn't end the process. Like I say in the look back that came out in late April, that's the beginning of the process. You're going to get a call from Harry or Joe. They're going to need more information. No matter how detailed your ASAP report is, there's going to be some detail that they're going to need, and they're going to want to hear from your lips exactly what happened and why you think it happened so that they can try to help solve the problem. Because, frankly, the bread and butter of the ASAP program is really about improving safety for the airlines. There's also a facet of the ASAP program that, you know, these details, this information, yes, normally they wouldn't get that without the non-punitive facet of ASAP, but realistically, the goal is to make a safer, better flying airline. And these two guys specifically, Joe and Harry, will absolutely be reaching out to you. You need to really focus on getting back to them quickly because they have a lot of ASAP reports that they're processing. They're doing a lot of investigations. They're doing MIAs all of the time. And when they call you and they have to call you two or three times, frankly, that's taking time away from some other member that may need their help. Yeah, with Joe and Harry, you can't find two more dedicated, finer professional individuals if you could for the program. If they're calling or texting you, there's something seriously wrong and you need to contact them. Let's make it real simple. I know there's been speaking to our reps in the, in the training. You want to expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, VP Caruso, he's been organizing training with many of our executive board, ASAP, reps, EAP benefits, safety. We've already completed the training for our stewards and reps in the Southwest region. The training for the other four regions is expected to be completed for the reps by the end or middle of June, depending on schedule transitions that might happen. But Joe and Harry, they're out there at all of these training events as well, making sure that the reps are hearing the same message. Along with them, our EAP benefits uh, coordinators will be out there. Ken Morris and Tony Lepore and our safety coordinator, Mike Cochran, will be there as well. I can tell you it was very good training. Uh, I participated in the first one with the Southwest region and intend to participate in the rest as we go around the system. So Gary, the next thing is uh, one of these things that's starting to bubble up and people are starting to ask questions. Negotiations are less than two years away. What are we doing about it? 
Well, a few things. So I've been having a lot of conversations between our local 514, 567. A lot of the folks that negotiated the last time until it became an executive negotiation where they were no longer part of the negotiations as far as in the room, physically in the room. So we've learned a lot from last time and learned a lot from what we don't want to happen. One of the things that we did do is we submitted some fundamental changes to the way negotiations or negotiations policy should be. The association constitution calls out how negotiations should be or should look. Negotiations constitution is also amendable. There's an amendment clause in it. And uh, we are taking advantage of that and utilizing, you know, the best practices that we saw or maybe worst practices that we saw to change the way we intend to negotiate going forward. So you want to basically change who controls negotiations? Correct. And what I would preface this with is that I don't see any ill will intent. You know, when things became executive negotiations, I do believe they expected negotiations to go much faster and conclude at least a couple of years sooner than they ended up concluding. But what we've lost is some of the control that the locals have and the ability to understand the language in real time as it's being negotiated. So what we're looking to do is really put the control of negotiations back in the hands of the locals. That's the basis of the changes, you know, while recognizing that in tech ops, the TW members outnumber the IAM members nearly three to one. So what kind of a time frame do you think we're looking at for the proposed changes to the negotiation policy? So this has been submitted to International. They are supposed to look at it. They accept the changes that we're looking for. They are supposed to approach the association, being the IAM, being the other side of the association. On these changes, there's not agreement. There is a neutral clause in the association constitution that can be enacted to basically bring in the umpire or uh, arbitrator or mediator, whatever it needs to be, to get the process to where both sides are comfortable. Quarterly membership meetings, it's something we've talked about for a long period of time. We always obviously would like to have more members participate in our quarterly membership meetings where really you get to have that one-on-one conversation or at least that in-person conversation with your elected representatives. What's going on with quarterly membership meetings? Okay, so May is our quarterly membership meeting month. So we'll be starting out west in the for the West Coast region on May 2nd doing the quarterlies there. DFW Southwest region is on May 9th. Chicago and the Central region is on May 11th. 23rd is Northeast being held at JFK. And then May 31st is in Miami for the Southeast region. One thing that we have been doing is having the meetings also broadcast live on Zoom. I can say that the participation's been uh, very good in some locations, not so good in other locations. I do know those that participate from the smaller stations are very appreciative of being able to virtually be in the room where we're having the meeting, even though they're hundreds of miles away. But it keeps them in, you know, a full participation role. They're able to ask questions. And I would strongly encourage every member, no matter what station you're at, to get on one of these meetings. You can get on any one of them across the country. That's There's no restriction that you have to stay within a region. So the meetings pretty much flow the same way from station to station anyway. The intent here, I mean, really let's take away the excuse of not being able to attend a meeting. Yeah, definitely. There's also the real value that a lot of our members are seeing in the smaller stations in that they can get on there and literally when we get to the end of the meeting where it's open to questions from and commentary from the floor, they can ask those questions that they may not be comfortable just asking in their own station. So there's a lot of value in having our members available on those electronic media, which we're using Zoom right now, right? Yes, we are. So the next one, safety. You've already touched on it a little bit. 
I have, but before I go into it, and we're recording this on April 24th, and I do need to recognize that a TW Fleet Service brother from Local 513 was killed on the ramp on April 20th uh, in Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. So our, our sincere condolences to his family, friends, and really to our fellow brothers and sisters in Austin, both in Local 513 and our local. I know a lot of our members witnessed the event, and it was just a, a horrific situation. I'm not going to get into particulars on it, but just keep them in your thoughts and prayers, and uh, let's do what we can to prevent these type of accidents in the future. Absolutely, Gary. Thanks for bringing that up. But for our sakes, I do want to stress again, and I stress this all the time, how we need to make sure we are in a safe place before and while doing our jobs. We need to check the equipment, you know, make sure we have the proper amount of people to accomplish the work and take that pause for a moment and make sure you are safe. We are in a very unforgiving job. Things can happen in a split second and Sometimes they they do lead to death, and we've seen this in numerous situations, too numerous. So take that pause, make sure that you're actually in a safe space. And and I say that with American, Americans out there saying how they're going to push as many flights as possible this summer. But for us, our most important job is to prevent injury or worse to ourselves, our coworkers, and our passengers. That's our number one job. Make sure that we do not get hurt out there. Make sure you go home in the same way that you came to work. So I know it's kind of cliche that safety must be priority one for all of us, but truly it needs to be. And situations like we just witnessed in Austin remind us of how fragile you know life is and how quickly things can happen on really what's a very dangerous ramp. Absolutely. It's dangerous machinery. It's a dangerous environment. There's a lot of movement going on, lots of distractions. We really need to refocus on protecting not only ourselves, but our coworkers, and as you said, also the passengers. All right, Gary, going to have to see if there's a positive note we can kind of end this podcast on. Is there something you can think of on that? Saturday, May 6th, the uh, Local 591 picnic that we have annually here in the Southwest region is once again on. So we need folks to RSVP if that's uh, via the website. I believe the posting is on the Southwest region's page on the website. A big thanks to that region, uh, the folks that are the leadership in the region for sponsoring this event. It is a lot of work. I know from experience in the past uh, how much work it is to put on an event like this. So a lot of thanks to those that are spearheading this and uh, hope to see you out there. Yeah, don't forget to RSVP with how many people family-wise are coming so that they can properly prepare the amount of food and whatever else they're looking to do. All right. So on that note, is uh, there anything else from you, Russ? No, sir. I can't think of anything else. This has been a, I know it's been a long podcast compared to most of ours. Yes, it has, but there's a lot of information and hopefully we'll get these things going back on a steady basis and try to do a monthly podcast. On that, I want to thank you, Russ, for coming in and helping me with this. It was my pleasure. If there are any other subjects you'd like covered, please contact us at info at local591.com. As always, please stay safe, and we hope to see you at the membership meetings in May. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. For more information about TWU Local 591, go to local591.com. To comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at info at local591.com. 
You can listen, download, and stream episodes of Local 591 Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcaster, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Local 591 Podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, local591podcast.com forward slash podcast. Music provided under license by pond5.com. The Local 591 Podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Ingle.